0: Welcome to the Strictly Personal Podcast. I'm John Paul Batum, your host. Our theme, our message is intended to be a wide open forum, much like a Seinfeld show where there could be an event going on throughout your day and that could make up a show. Well, we're going to have a conversation at just about anything that could be going on and that's going to make up a podcast. Hopefully, you'll find it thought-provoking, at the very least, entertaining. My father, the late John Batum, Hall of Fame broadcaster, started the Strictly Personal commentary show back in the late 90s. This is my attempt to keep that going. Throughout the many podcasts, I will be highlighting different audio clips of his broadcast history, and I hope you'll find that enjoyable. Our commentary is relevant and interesting. All the while, we'll be hosting different guests along the way. All the commentary provided is strictly personal. With all that being said, let's get started. Today's guest is Joe Felice. Joe and I go back some 40 some odd years and I've known him for a long time. Joe has just released and published a, a book uh, called The Entrepreneurial Spirit Program, and we're going to hear a little bit about that. Before we get started with that, here's a clip from John
1: Battam. You look in good shape. You look in good form. You look like you're ready to play, Coach. Oh, uh, no, I'm not ready to play. I've, what, played winks, I think that's about it. No, I'm, I'm here. I'm having a lot of fun at it, and uh, this is our newest bar here, and I think it's, honestly, God, I think it's our prettiest, too. Well, I know Sherry and the guys have been talking about it. They've been anxious and ready to go. And I think the people in the area have been pretty excited. And, uh, hey, it's a sports bar, and that's what, what it's all about. Well, we got Eric uh, Lindros here. I guess he's the most talked about guy. He's sitting up there with uh, Joe Sorella, uh, Kevin McClellan, and... Uh, Keith Pringle, uh, uh, Detroit Red Wing, going to be uh, a dandy when he gets, like one of those Colts right now, you know, he's one of those big Colts, and he'll be a dandy when he gets going. What do you tell a kid like Eric? What do you, t- I mean, Dad, you've seen these kids, and you know, there's a tremendous amount of pressure on anybody, I mean, uh, you remember Bobby Orr coming into that age, and yeah, Times have changed a little bit. There's more money, there's more television, there's Six more media. The rest of it, hey, 6'10", it doesn't matter. I'm, it's, we're in the millions. He, he just turned 18 in February. February. What do you tell a kid like this? It's a funny thing that I, I get a of a lot of calls from Buffalo. I don't know. I seem to be the spokesman from Canada. I don't know. And they ask me, what, uh, is this kid as good as they say he is? I say, well, let me put it this way, too. He can put the puck in the net. He can make plays. He loves to fight. He's as mean as a junkyard dog. Uh, You can't do much better than that. And that's, uh, I think his mom, a lot of people criticize his mom, you know, and everything like that. Well, let's see what she's done so far. They got him playing in a town close to home. They got him a Memorial Cup. And she's going to get him about $6 million. I I think she's doing a pretty good job so far. (laughs) On that subject, is there literally undue pressure on some of these young kids today. Oh, there's, but I don't think there's any more pressure than there was. You you could say, oh yeah, uh, there's more money and everything, but there's, there's just as much pressure on Bobby Orr and Gretzky and Mario. The pressure is what you make it. And, uh, this is probably his toughest time right now. I, I would think once he gets on the ice, he's going to be good with anybody, but right now he's got to go to Buffalo. He's got to go to the draft. He's uh, getting 9 million calls. Um, you know, his house number is right in the book in Toronto, you know. and uh, I, I, I can't believe that, uh, you know, they haven't got an unlisted number, but there you are, the kid's there, he's as nice as pie, and uh, listen, if he can stand the pressure last year uh, but he went through in the Sioux, I mean, he'd go through anyway. Well, I know I had the privilege and the pleasure of uh, doing his broadcasts uh, with the Joshua Generals all year and watching this kid everywhere. It was unbelievable, Don uh, You know, to sign the autographs and I mean, not just for a couple I mean, 15, 20 minutes an hour The bus waits yeah. for the guy and, and he has an ability to be able to rate, relate to his other teammates As you can appreciate with young kids And let's face it, they are kids at that age No matter what their ability
0: Joe, is Joe, how are you doing? Not too bad, how are you? Good, good, good Good, good Okay, I'm here with Joe Felice. Uh, Joe, uh, you know, uh, welcome to the Strictly Personal Podcast, Joe. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, going, I think we've known each other more than 40 years. So uh, we, we go back a ways here, uh, probably since yeah. high school.
2: Yeah, for sure. It's uh, definitely high school, although uh, we were in different years. I think uh, when you and I first met, we were on a hockey team together.
0: That's right. Now <laughs> just, I just—I actually jogged a memory of mine there. There you—there you go. That's right. Um, did, little did we know that we would end up being, uh, you know, friends for such a long time. Um, and it's been—and it's been—it's been great because we've—we've uh, stayed in touch throughout the many many years, and uh, uh, we've shared a lot of different life events, and uh, so it's been good. Uh, I know uh, going back to that time, I you know one of the most memorable. Uh, uh, times that I got to know you was over the uh, the ball hockey. But before I get into that, I just wanted to touch on the fact that your last name is Felice, and I know that's a Maltese name. Uh, do you do you have relatives in Malta?
2: Yes, uh, my dad still has uh, family members in Malta, uh, but he
0: also has family members in Australia and in the UK as well. Okay, I was just wondering through this difficult time. Uh, how they're all doing and is everybody okay
2: yeah they uh from from what i understand everyone's fine unfortunately my father's youngest brother just passed away so we've just dealt with that in the last uh last week i guess so so that's unfortunate but that was totally unrelated to the uh, coronavirus
0: okay all right well that's uh, sad news but uh yeah, just obviously it's been uh, really tough uh, on everybody, and I know that we're all sort of quarantined here, and this is giving you and I an opportunity to do this podcast, so we got some free time, so maybe that's one of the, the bonuses of, of, of what's going on. But uh, anyways, getting back to uh, really uh, starting up a, a ball hockey league, which uh, uh, goes back at a time when ball hockey really wasn't that popular. And uh, so people listening to this will go, well, ball hockey's been around forever. Well, you were one of the instrumental innovators of ball hockey. So maybe just uh, let's uh, maybe hear a little bit how you got involved in that.
2: Well, I was, I was away at school in Guelph and uh, was thinking about, uh, excited to be coming home back to the Clarkson area uh, for the summer, but uh, definitely had an interest in this game called ball hockey. Uh, and there was a 16 league running out of Mississauga, and uh, it was. Uh, uh Two people that were heavily involved in it were were the gentlemen that ran Canadian Wholesale Sports that was on Lakeshore uh, Lakeshore and Clarkson. And I was pretty close with them uh, just from hanging around their sports store over the years when I was a youngster and uh, uh, just, you know, always looking at the hockey equipment and that type of thing. And, you know, I went and spoke with Mike and Robin about, Trying to get into the ball hockey league, and and they just said they're at capacity. There was six teams; they were full. It was very difficult for for new players to get in, and uh, and so I was a little disheartened by that, and uh, and went back to school and just started to plan uh, how I might be able to start my own ball hockey league, and and uh, the next time I was back in Clarkson, went back and met with Mike and Robin, and. and And they were fully supportive of me starting uh, my own league. And uh, with some advice and some guidance from them, I just started taking the steps to to launch a new league, which, uh, as uh, you'll recall, it started as a four-team league uh, running out of, I believe it was Clarkson Arena and uh, you know just to fast just to fast forward (laughs) that four team league grew to six teams and grew to eight teams and it moved around from Clarkson to Huron Park and you know I'm not sure I can remember all of the different uh, chain of events but uh, eventually uh, uh, it was something that was just consuming a lot of my time and uh, and uh, it ended up in your hands and uh, and I was happy that that you were taking it on and uh, but I didn't know that that day you pulled up in my driveway <laughs> that you that you uh, you were asking me to to join forces with you again and to, to get involved and and uh, you convinced me to do that and really Paul it was uh, under your leadership where the, the, the league really took off. And as you know, it uh, eventually grew to 44 teams and over 700 players. And I'll, I'll let you pick it up from there because there's a lot of different things that we did
0: if I remember uh really wanting to just play I wanted to play ball hockey and the word got out that you had had started this league and so a bunch of us got together uh my brother and I decided we'd put a team in and we decided to uh enter the league and then uh there was some risk of the league maybe not continuing or or, or going on and I said well I don't want to see that happen I'm just starting to really enjoy this and uh thought, well, you know what, I had some, some time on my hands. I thought, well, I could help out. Uh, little did I know I would end up, uh, I think George Tell would, would take it over initially. Uh, and then George had to go to university and uh, he had to leave town because he was going uh, you know out of the province. And uh, George said, well, why don't you run it? So that was sort of how that came about. But uh, I decided to put a, a lot into it at the time and thought, well, there's, there's no reason why we couldn't uh, become a, a force in uh, and, and a, and a bigger league. And we did grow the league ultimately to, I think, somewhere around at its peak, 48 teams with a junior division. Uh, we moved the, uh, the ball hockey into, uh, we called it the Mississauga Ball Hockey Association. It was very well known and we had it on cable tv we had all sorts of things and I, and you were you were instrumental you came back in to work with me on the league as a, a director of the league also you uh, you headed up the officiating at some point you were very instrumental in continuing it on and and, and somewhere along the line there you and I decided that we would even uh, get a house together so we ended up buying a house and uh, Getting ourselves into the real estate market back in those days. So I mean, it was uh, you and I had uh, a lot going on back then.
2: Yeah, well, you know, and, and the one thing that's interesting before we move away from the ball hockey is is uh, as the league started to grow. <laughs> that other six-team league that I wasn't able to join uh, all those years ago, they started to, uh, uh, well, the, the league that that uh, that we had got their attention and and they approached you actually and were looking to do some type of merger and I remember you coming to meet with me and say, you know, uh, the, the other ball hockey league has approached me, they're looking to merger and I said, well, how's that going to work? And you said, to me, well, they want to merge, but uh, they want to still be the guys that run the league. And I said, well, forget that. <laughs> and, <laughs> that's right. and, uh, and, when, and that's what you—that's how you had replied to them. And and so you you stuck to your guns, and and you basically said, no, if you want to have a merger, that's fine, but uh, we'll just absorb your your six teams. And uh, ultimately, uh, I guess they didn't have much of a choice, and uh, and the merger took place. And uh,
0: yeah, that's. Uh, uh, yeah, and if I recall, what happened was we uh, Frank Costco, uh, Frank Costco's clothiers. Uh, Frank Costco was uh, a director of that league at that time, and I remember having a meeting. He'd called o- us over to a meeting in his store basement, and uh, to discuss this. And they were they were at a risk of going down to five teams. They were at six, and they were running down to five teams, and so they were struggling where we were growing and. Uh, they wanted to to, to uh, adopt our league, in essence. And uh, I said, well, "Well, that's fine." I said, "Frank, I'm I'm happy for a merger, but uh, the, if we were going to merge, how, this is how it's going to go. I'm going to be the president. We're going to, and you could be the vice president, but uh, you will come in under our uh, association, and uh, we'll merge." So I, stu- I I stuck to my guns, and and you gave me the encouragement to do that. So I uh, thank you for that. And yeah, that was. Uh, and you know what it was a, it was a great merger as it turned out because the league really really did take off even more so after that. So yeah, yeah it was a lot of fun.
2: Sure. Yeah, for sure and, and you know I know you brought up us uh, buying a house together, but I just wanted to pick up on the name Frank Cosco. So it, w- it was through the ball hockey uh, uh, work that we were doing and, and Frank Costco's involvement uh, he approached me. Uh, Frank Costco was a Rotarian. And, and he approached me at some point while we were doing our, our ball hockey and our, our cable 10 broadcast, Rogers Community Television. You and I were doing the broadcast game of the week, and, and Frank uh, came up to me and approached me and asked me if he could nominate my name to be part of something they call a group study exchange that the uh, Rotarians uh, would do where they would send a group of, uh, of youth uh, someplace else in the world to get a chance to experience uh what was going on in a different country and ultimately that's right that's right uh, I ultimately it. i ended i ended up going to nigeria as that's a part of uh, a, a, rot- a rotary a group study exchange and that all came back to frank costco and ball hockey mm-hmm. and everything that uh, that, that you just mentioned that's
0: right i'd forgotten all about that that's uh i remember that happening and uh I also remember you also kicking off another sideline uh, business uh, with the printing T-shirts. You were doing screen printing with T-shirts as well around that time.
2: Yeah, for sure. Well, you know, it's, it's funny how things go because, uh, as you know, and, and I'm sure we'll, we'll get a chance to talk about it in a little while, but I recently have uh, self-published a book called The Entrepreneurial Spirit Program.
0: I know. I was just thinking I should have I should have introduced you to the podcast as an author. Joe Phil.
2: Well, yeah. <laughs> well we, we can talk about that, but what, what I just wanted to mention was that that trip to Nigeria, uh, was really, you know, uh, really had an influence on me, and uh, and all these years later, um, it just was a little bit of that spark, which which led to me writing the book. But uh, yeah, so you know, I'm sure I'm sure we can talk about that. But uh, do you want to go back a little bit to you you asking me about the screen printing? Um, I, I guess it really comes back to, uh, once again, you know, uh, some of the reasons why I decided to write the book. I, I was working, I'd gone to school, I graduated, and I found myself working for a pharmaceutical company and uh, and had, had done a nice job there. There's some stories I can tell about some of the, the accomplishments there. But uh, but uh, in the end, after two, two and a half years of working in, in the corporate world, it just wasn't, it just wasn't uh, fulfilling uh, some passions that I had. I'm not really sure what those passions were, but I just knew that I wasn't getting out of it what I wanted to get out of it. And uh, I was coaching hockey at the time, minor hockey at the time. And uh, one of the guys that I was coaching with was uh, printing T-shirts uh, in a cold cellar in his parents' basement. And, uh, and and he didn't have much education. He, he didn't graduate high school. And he was always asking me uh, about how to run the business and how to grow the business. And every time that we got together for hockey, he was always asking questions about business. And and uh, finally, I said to him, you know, how much do you have invested in, in here? And he, he gave me a number. And I said, well, if I match what you have invested, can we become partners? and he said for sure so i gave him a sum of money and uh the next thing you know we were we were partners in the screen printing business and we set up shop in high park and uh and that that's how that's how the t-shirt business started
0: well i, I even uh, recall uh at one point i think i was getting you to print some of the uh, ball hockey jerseys for us so uh <laughs> yeah that, that was probably
2: something I twisted your arm on. <laughs> but, but you're right, you know, the, the league had grown and I, like you said ultimately, I said 44 teams, but you, you correctly mentioned that there was a junior league as well, so there were as many as 48 teams, but somewhere along the line, along the way, when there was 24 teams or whatever it was, i think we talked about well why don't we supply uniforms to all the teams rather than the teams providing their own jerseys and that type of thing and and you were uh, kind enough to outsource uh, all of the uniform uh, uh supply and the printing that went on both the, the front crests and the numbers uh, to to my company so so that was a great uh, that was a great opportunity for us in the printing side
0: yeah see we uh we've always crossed paths it seems over the years in some way or another but uh you know we get to we get to a point where we did buy it buy a house together and uh you know that was a, a to me that was an opportunity that i look back on That get me got me into the real estate market to you know, you know be in your 20s it's just no different than the kids today it's tough to get in to to, to save enough money and get into real estate so to to do a joint venture with you at that time uh, worked out for me and I think it worked out well for you as well but uh, we were able to do that. We had some good day, good times and good days and as we lived together we had uh, our good friend Wayne rent a, rent a room from us and we had uh, lots of good times during the, that, those years.
2: Yeah, for sure. I, uh, going back to, to school days, you know, uh, read a book called uh, The Apprenticeship of Duddy Kravitz. And there's a line in in that book where Duddy always says, uh, maybe it was his grandfather. His grandfather used to say to Duddy, um, a man without land is nobody, you know. And yeah. I always, I love that book and I always remember that, that comment from the grandfather and you know, after I graduated, I think it was at the age of 20 or 21, I bought my first piece of property up in Bracebridge along the Muskoka yeah. River, which
0: yeah, is
2: which I still have, it's a blank piece of property
0: I was just going to I ask you, I think you still have that do you not? I do and at one point I had a 1961 Glendale trailer on there and, <laughs> me, and my buddies, me and
2: my buddies used to, to go up there and there was a couple very large trees on the uh, the shore of the Muskoka River and and uh, before bungee jumping was a big thing we had a huge bungee rope that hung from that tree and we would, <laughs> we, we would swing, we would run down this little embankment and we'd swing out into the Muskoka River and drop off of this uh, bungee rope but but uh, real estate and you know was always something that uh, property was always something that I had in the back of my mind and uh, purchased my first house uh, with my brother at the age of 24 and uh, lots of construction going on in Mississauga at that time and it's it's when people were buying houses off of paper so developers were planning on building uh, building subdivisions and you could buy the houses before they were built so just uh, somewhere in 1986 I think I put a deposit down on a on a house that had not yet been built And at some point, I approached you and uh, you and Wayne were living together in an apartment and and I approached you and said, hey, you know, I could probably figure out a way for you to spend less on paying a mortgage than you do on rent. What do you think? And, you know, you went along with the idea and uh, yeah, yeah, we had a house together and we had some good times there, Paul.
0: Yeah, we certainly did. I think uh... Shortly thereafter, uh, we, we, we moved on to get married and start a family life, but, uh, uh, you know, we, we did. We had some good times, and uh, so if I move forward a little bit, I think uh, after that, uh, you know, you'd, uh, you and I had maybe ventured out to Whitby. I don't know how that came about. I think I relocated out there, and then you, you, you did as well, and so we spent some time in Whitby, Together And then uh, eventually we made our way back, I guess, to the, the Toronto, Mississauga, Oakville area. And uh, so we've managed to stay in touch through all this time. Now, I know that you, when you went to school, did you go for logistics? Because you did a lot of work in the logistics area of business. Uh, thereafter
2: yeah well well, you know i went to school for something at the time was called materials management and but you know supply chain management and logistics they weren't buzzwords back then but Mm. but really paul to answer your question yes i i went to school for materials management but uh but it really really uh involved a lot of the uh supply chains you know uh factories or warehouses and you know all the the flow of goods into these factories and warehouses and you know the value that gets added at that point and and then there's the the shipping of filling orders out so they call it inbound and outbound but yeah so what
0: I went to school for I I spent my career doing well, you and, and I and I found it uh, amazing because uh, you moved around to uh, you know a few different, um, in, I guess, industries, different industries, different corporations, different companies, and you gained so much uh, background and knowledge in that area. You became quite an expert in it, and uh, at, some, at some point, you were being consulted to on, from many different companies. I believe and you were, you're you're you know you're now an expert in that area and I think it's also given you the skill sets to where you're at today
2: yeah, it's it's all it's all connected. It's it's really an interesting journey. I spent about 15 years working for large uh, large companies. I mentioned the uh, pharmaceutical, and then I had a stint of running my own screen printing business, and that lasted a, a, a number of years. But I found myself back into the uh, the, the world of uh, chemicals. It was actually you know try to downplay it now, but it was agricultural chemicals. I spent some time there, and then. Went into the telecom industry, uh, and then got plucked uh, from the telecom industry That's by right. uh, Deloitte by Deloitte Consulting, and, right, yeah. uh, and that started a journey of me uh, becoming a consultant. And uh, after the dot com boom and the dot com crash, I found myself uh, uh, incorporating my own uh, my own and uh, became an independent consultant in 2001
0: and and have never looked back from there yeah, uh, yeah and it's can say you've been very successful at it what uh, what's happening now I uh, know that recently you you uh, published this book called the entrepreneurial spirit program and maybe you could uh, give us a little bit of background about the about the book that you just published
2: yeah you know in in 2005 um I was approached by uh, the School of Business, representatives of the School of Business at Sheridan College. And uh, an elderly professor had, uh, it, was, it was a winter where it was, it was a lot of snow and a lot of ice, and an elderly professor had a car accident just as the, uh, the first semester, the fall semester, was ending. And he had let the School of Business know that he wasn't coming back for the winter s- semester, so they were kind of in a jam and uh, I got approached and and uh, you know by January 3rd or 4th of, of that year 2005 uh, without any materials or anything I stepped into a classroom and started teaching uh, courses that were part of a postgraduate international business program and and uh, you know at that point 75% of the students in my class were, were foreign students, international students and you and, uh, You know after class they would they would be a little lineup and they would start wanting to chat with me after class and and the two or three people that were waiting in line they found themselves part of the conversation that the first person started and and they were always talking about their fears and their reservations of after they graduated uh they would have to go back home to their home country and 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 they would talk about you know, uh, social conditions and social structures and systems and how those social structures and systems functioned. And quite frankly, they would talk about the dysfunction within their communities where, you know, young people just weren't, allowed to do what they wanted to do or what they loved and you know paul it reminded me of a trip that i had that 16 years earlier that trip to nigeria right and and you know when i was in nigeria that's what resonated with me it was a time in nigeria's history when they were under military rule you know and and i think back to a time where you know i was taking a picture of a, of a government building and and i was grabbed by a, by a soldier and I was held at, uh, at gunpoint for, you know, probably about an hour. This guy had a loaded automatic weapon pointed at my chest from five feet away. i you know, <laughs> and, 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 you know, I, I, I tell that story, but, but then I follow it up and, you know, I say, you know, that's not what left a mark on me. What left a mark on me from that trip to Nigeria was the young people. And I remember this one young boy, you know, rattling the beads on the, on, that were you know, on the doorway of, of the room where I slept, and his name was Ola, and Ola came in and fell to his knees, and, you know, he was begging me to take him home, and his story was the same as the other young people that I had met traveling through five different states within Nigeria, and it was the same story that my international students were telling me, that they were... They just weren't able to do what they wanted to do and what they loved and and you know those those stories and that sentiment and it reminded me of my own youth and even though I was successful in in going about and starting up the ball hockey league or buying property or buying a house you know there were a lot of people that that had what I call this stuck in muck feeling and and so the entrepreneurial spirit program starts with with this sentiment that uh, a sizable population worldwide of young people have. They have this stuck in muck feeling and, and, it, and it causes doubt and postponement and anxiety and withdrawal and, and sometimes flight. And uh, so really the entrepreneurial spirit program starts starts from that sentiment, those feelings that young people have, and it tries to present a solution that communities can use to help young people get unstuck.
0: So then uh, this is uh I guess led you to ESP, I guess is the acronym for the book, but um, ESP for Youth. Your story and how you put the story together is, and our, our tell, uh, you basically, you've told it in a story uh, about uh, building a business using youth, young people. And, how, and all the different roles everybody needs to take. And it's quite interesting how you've laid that out. What gave you the idea to do it that way, Joe? Well, you know,
2: when we, we talked about consulting. And and uh, so most of my, if not all of my consulting work, Paul, was something that they refer to as technology-enabled business transformation. So really what it says is that, you know, let's call it software or applications. There's software and applications that started to become available that would allow companies to do what they do better. And, and as people started to embrace technology, um, uh, the workload for, for people like myself started to increase because we would go into corporations and, and help them to, to implement technology and, and, In my time with Deloitte, I actually became, you know, sort of the go-to guy on developing methodology. You know, how do we how do we implement? These elaborate, what they call enterprise software solutions, and for some reason, I had some ideas on how to do it, and became a leader on uh, developing methodology on how to implement this new software. Uh, But what I can tell you is that methodology is often very technical, filled with lots of guidelines and manuals, and and how to how to implement the software. And I thought, you know, I've got this this entrepreneurial spirit program, as you correctly mentioned the ESP methodology and I thought well I want to share this methodology with people uh, specifically communities on how they can help these young people that are stuck in muck and and help to get them unstuck but i don't want to produce a technical document right right? and i and i thought you know how else might i be able to communicate this methodology on on how communities can help young people and that's really when i decided to write a story and and you know all things coming you know full circle um it's a story about six kids that get together uh, with a guy who has an idea and, uh, the outcome doesn't just change their own futures. It changes the futures of the community, but, but I overlaid the methodology on screen printing. So it's, it's a story about six kids that get together and their project is to print t-shirts.
0: Yeah. And, uh, I don't know whether to call you Patrick or Joe, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I really enjoyed how you laid it out, Joe. And it was, a, it made it, made, made it, uh, into a story and, uh, uh you know you could follow it along i love the appendix at the back how you've broken down all the skill categories and the learning outcomes etc so you know that's it just really well done i'm really proud of you and i really think you've done a a heck of a job with this and i know that you're uh, probably you know uh working on other projects already and uh I, I just want to say I'm just very real proud of you putting that together and uh, so how is it how is the, uh, the introduction to the book gone so far
2: well you know it, it, it's going I'm, I'm learning a lot and uh, you know it's it's kind of funny you know uh, I, I just mentioned to you that uh, I spent a career on implementing technology and software and applications but you know, this whole social media, you know, Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and you know, everything else that you can think of.
0: Well I guess that you know, would have been that would have been a little bit foreign to you because you really weren't that into the social media prior to the, the book release, were you or
2: well no, like it, it's interesting because you know, I mentioned the dot com boom and the dot com crash. Paul, there were there were times where, you know, people were writing million dollar checks for us to go in and meet with them i i, I my role you know uh, forget about titles my role was a solution architect so if somebody had an idea that they wanted to launch a business you know whether it was deloitte or the software company that i worked for afterwards called Descartes, you know they would send me in and i would i would sit with these people and help them architect how, how software could help them launch a business. And at that time, we were, we were at the forefront of, of exploiting what the internet was. Like, you know, you mm-hmm. go back, you know, this is 2000, 2001, you know, and, and if you think about what the state of the internet was back then, it certainly wasn't what it is today. And, and so these million-dollar checks that were coming in, these were people that were the early adopters of the internet, and we were helping them to exploit how the internet could be used for commercial purposes. So I was on the ground floor of of, of doing these. Uh, They called them closed communities or exchanges where people that wanted to sell something could post something on the Internet and people that wanted to buy it could bid on what this person was selling. Like this is going back to 2000, 2001, which is commonplace today. So after having all of that experience of learning how to leverage the Internet, then I stepped away and I missed I missed you know the the when 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 things like facebook and right,
0: and, yeah. uh,
2: and instagram and twitter well, when these things be, beca- became the norm I had had enough of all this software stuff, so I just kind of stepped away. Yeah. And, and the whole evolution of that and the whole proliferation of, of those applications just kind of passed me by. So now as a, as a self-published author, I find myself having to ramp up my understanding of social media. And, and, and it's quite odd. It's quite odd the way that, uh, the way that I had fallen behind. In, in
0: how to use these tools yeah well i mean and for for more information i understand visiting www.espforyouth.com, i believe is a, a way to get a hold of the book how, how do people get in touch with you joe
2: well, I mean, you know, it, it, the best way is to go to that, uh, the website. And like you said, it's ESP for youth and, and four is not the number four. It's actually spelt out ESP for youth.com. Uh, uh, they can, they can access that. And, and, and through there, there's a, there's an email address, uh, info at ESP for youth.com. They can certainly email me there. Um, so I, so I appreciate the opportunity to mention that, but, uh, uh, you, you know, so, so where I'm at, you asked me where I'm at. So I've hired a social media marketing agency and, uh, and so they are reworking a website that I launched and, and that should be, uh, the, the, the relaunch of the website should happen within the next two weeks. And, and uh, I had a video shoot, uh, about two weeks ago and, and, uh, put together about 19 different video clips um, uh, that can be used through my LinkedIn profile and, and the website and, you know, understanding, uh, how Google works and what Google likes and what Google doesn't like. And apparently Google likes videos. So if you don't have videos attached to your website, uh, Google's going to give you a, a lower ranking than they might otherwise. So, so that, that's kind of where I'm at right now is just trying to launch it. I've been speaking. Uh, with different uh, different groups, mostly uh, Rotary groups, Rotary clubs uh, in and around uh, you know the Hamilton area and, and Mississauga and Oakville area. Speaking with some Rotary groups just to share, just to just to kind of ramp up uh, my my uh, presentation of the book to to audiences. So so that that's kind of what I'm doing right now.
0: Well, that's excellent, Joe. Uh, I love the last line on the back cover here. Believe we excel when we do what we love, and uh, it sounds like that's a path that you're on. Um, so, what's next for Joe Felice?
2: Well, I, you know, Paul, I've uh, I've committed myself. Uh, I retired. Fortunately, I was able to retire. Uh, it's been eight years um, uh, that I've retired, and uh, and in my retirement, uh, if I can. And when I say retired, I retired from my primary career um, of consulting and implementing solutions and helping companies implement solutions. So um, I have committed myself to being a youth advocate or an advocate for youth. And, and the book is my product. And I'm going to be creating uh, a few different add-ons to the book. Um, but that's that's what I'm doing, and that's what I plan to do from now till you know, till I'm no longer able to do to do that. Uh, so I, 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 I do it every day. I get up every day. I come into my office and I work on things and I try to come up with ideas on how I can get this message out that that, uh, you know, young people, Paul, young people are the, what I say, the social and economic engines of community growth and, and we ought to help these young people do what they love and, and do what they're meant to do and I've got uh, this concept that I've introduced through my website and through the book it's called the apprentice entrepreneur and if you think back to you know skilled trade apprenticeships you know whether it's a plumber, electrician, an auto mechanic. You know, uh, uh, skilled trade apprenticeships have been around for a long, long time, and and it's amazing what they do. They put young people that have an interest in something together with people that have a lot of experience, and over a number of years, they they are able. The young people are able to 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 absorb the knowledge that these uh, skilled trade professionals have, and after a number of years, whether it be two, three, five years, these young people end up with these licenses, skilled trade licenses, and they go out and they make good wages and they become contributors to the community, both socially and economically, they become contributors. And and I'm saying and, and asking the question through my book and through my website and through the talks that I'll be doing is saying why can we not have an apprenticeship program for entrepreneurs? And 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 if we work together, maybe we can figure out a way to give young entrepreneurs that that aren't interested in getting a skilled trade license, but they just want to own a small business, you know, and 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 how can communities help those young people uh, get that start to own their own small business? And and the value proposition going forward, like like what I say is, young people or youth, youth isn't youth isn't a period in our lives youth is something that's our full life our our inner spirit our our inner child our creativity that we had when we were children it stays with us for a lifetime sometimes it goes dormant and we need we need to revive that inner child we need to revive that spirit
0: and we need to enable people to do what they love and do what they're meant to do joe i'm getting inspired this is fantastic stuff i really enjoyed it i think that uh, you know, you would, you'd ask how long we'd be on this podcast and we're already, uh, you know, just about 40 minutes in. So uh, we, you and I could talk and talk and talk, as you know. I mean, we and we'll probably have to do another one of these because we've only scratched the surface of some of the things that uh, we could talk about. But I, uh, I really enjoy you coming on today on the podcast. I always say uh, at the end of the podcast. Um, I like to go out and I like to always ask my guests to pick the song that we go out with. So what's your favorite song or what song would you like to, to go out with, Joe? Oh,
2: my gosh, Paul. You know, I'm one of these... I'm, no, seriously, I'm one of these guys. I'm one of these guys. I can go to a movie and watch a movie and the minute I leave the movie, you ask me about it. I can, I, all I can tell you is whether I like it or not. You know? mean, and, and Paul, it's like... Golf You know, you play a golf course, you remember every hole, you know, I'm not like that. So I I, I really can't give you a song. I'm sure you can come up with something and, uh, you know, maybe we'll have to do another podcast because, uh, you didn't even bring up, you know, some of the things that we used to do when we lived together, like play table hockey. I didn't even even get a chance to ask you who the best table hockey player, you know, in the whole wide world is.
0: (laughs) Well, Joe, I really, I really appreciate you coming on today, and uh, we'll, we we'll definitely do this again. And um, good luck with the book. Good luck with the uh, the, the continuation of the ESP program, and and everything else that you continue to do. And all your, all the best to you, and stay safe, you and the family. And uh, we'll talk soon.
2: Great, and you know, mutual admiration society here. I'm very proud of you, what you're doing with this podcast, and your father would be very, very proud of you. I can, I can see him smiling on you right now, Paul. Honestly, and, <laughs> uh, and no, really, it brings that. a tear. No, it brings a tear to my eye, and um, you know, so so keep it going. Anything I can do to support you, you just let me know.
0: All right, thanks, buddy.
2: Okay, take care. Cheers. Bye. Bye.
1: So